Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday morning, September 20th, 2017. As always, this is the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast with Mike Lyon. And another day, another extra inning game, and another win for the Boston Red Sox. This one by the slim final score of one to nothing. The only run in the game, they actually went to extra innings scoreless. The only run in the game was scored on a bases-loaded wild pitch in the top of the 11th inning with two outs. Jackie Bradley scored the run. Uh, the Red Sox were able to shut it down from there. Uh, they overcome a sterling and a tremendous pitching performance from Baltimore's Kevin Gossman, who has terrorized the Red Sox before, although not so much this season. He's been decidedly human this season, although the Red Sox again made him look like Superman last night. But he pitched very well. Eight innings, allowed just three hits. Uh, the Red Sox did have a couple of opportunities because they got a couple of walks uh, but uh, with, with runners in scoring position. But uh, Gossman was able to uh, prevent any damage from happening. Uh, the Red Sox got a great pitching performance out of Drew Pomerantz again. He can't finish the seventh inning, and the pitch counts are a concern. But six and a third shutout innings. Uh, I believe only about five hits allowed. Did walk a couple, struck out, I think, seven. Uh, so a great pitching performance from him, which is nice to see going into the postseason. The real story of the game on the Red Sox side was the bullpen. Listen to this stat. Four and two-thirds innings, zero hits, eight strikeouts. You got that right. No hits allowed. No base runners allowed, I don't believe. Might have walked one, but that would be about it. No hits allowed, eight strikeouts, four and two-thirds innings of shutout baseball. And they did get they did get a base run in the eleventh inning. Now that I see it, Matt Barnes comes into the game uh, after Farrell used the front end of his bullpen. He used Carson Smith for two thirds of an inning. He used Addison Reed in the eighth, a perfect inning, and he used Craig Kimbrell in the ninth, a perfect inning. Then he used Joe Kelly in the tenth, who also got a perfect inning. So the core was depleted. I thought that he might go to David Price at that point. I was thinking, well, maybe this is a spot for David Price to come in in a high-leverage situation, get a few outs. Instead, he goes to Matt Barnes, and, and any time that Farrell goes to Matt Barnes with a short lead or a slim lead, you know, Red Sox Nation collectively holds its breath, but Barnes was actually terrific. Uh, got an out on, a, on a, a quick out on a fly ball. Got Jonathan Scope uh, on a pop-up on the infield, and then he got Adam Jones uh, to hit a ground ball to third base right at Rafael Devers, who fielded it cleanly, but then committed an error throwing it onto on third, or on, excuse me, onto first, excuse me. Uh, so that put a runner on second, but two pitches later, he got a ground ball tapper back to the mound from Mark Trumbo. Uh, so he really got four outs in the inning, and it, a, pretty, a pretty good inning for Barnes. He gets the save. Red Sox win 1-0. Magic number is now in single digits. It is at 9. The Yankees again won last night at home. Final score was 5-2. They beat the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they're going to keep going. They've shown no signs of letting up. Fortunately, the Red Sox are just as hot. Um, that's 4 out of 5 for the good guys. Their last, their, The record in the last 10 is still 7-3. and three, And they're still rolling. You get them in extra innings. You don't want to play them in extra innings. Baltimore was a really good extra inning team coming into this series. They were 12 and 2 themselves in extra inning games. They've now lost two in a row thanks to the Red Sox who are now 15 and 3 in extra inning games. 15 and 3. 
that is just a, ter a terrific record. There's some there's some dissension or, or some some kind of wondering, I guess, in the newspapers about whether playing so many extra inning games is a forecast of, of gloom and doom for the Red Sox. I mean, I don't really think uh, that that playing a bunch of extra inning games is a forecast of anything of significance. I think it's more luck than anything else. But uh, the point being, I, I think that the takeaway from this is an exceedingly positive one if you're a Red Sox fan. Uh, they can get into pressure situations and they can win. Uh, this is a team that bears down when it has to. They got a little lucky last night because they couldn't get a big hit. Uh, they got a little. They got very lucky when the, the Orioles' Brad Brack or Brad Brock, excuse me, threw a wild pitch that scored a run. But look, they made that run stand up. They got the bases loaded. They made that run stand up, and the rest is history. So the, the bullpen looks like a very solid unit for the Red Sox right now. And that was certainly not the case earlier on in the season. I think the Addison-Reed deal is going to seem like a great one, especially if the Red Sox make a run here to win the division and then have a little bit of a run in the playoffs too. Addison-Reed was a necessary deal. Uh, they gave up a little bit to get him, but they absolutely needed somebody to lock down that eighth inning in front of Craig Kimbrell, and they got that guy. Uh, Reed has been terrific, save a couple of bad outings against the Yankees. He, he's really been very good uh, and has a, a nice little streak in a row of very good appearances. Uh, again, Carson Smith pitches again last night, pitches well again last night. Uh, he can't pitch today, I don't think. I, I think you're going to have to rest him today uh, with, with uh, at least two, if not three outings in a row at this point for Smith. So, uh, But he's pitched well. I know we, we talked about this at length yesterday, but the bullpen continues to perform. Uh, we haven't even seen David Price in a very high leverage situation yet. Um, he did pitch two innings perfectly against Tampa Bay on Sunday in a one-run game and a losing effort. I think you'll see him start to get the ball a little bit more because they think he can be a weapon, and he could be a, a really good left-handed weapon out of the bullpen. Uh, if Joe Kelly, and here's a guy we haven't mentioned a lot at all because he's had a really a very up-and-down career with the Red Sox as a, as a whole, but uh, Joe Kelly pitched very well again last night, and, and he's on a little bit of a roll himself. Uh, Joe Kelly, you, you don't doubt the stuff. You know he's got great stuff. He can throw the ball extremely hard. Uh, he's got a pretty good breaking ball. I, you know, I'd argue he's a little over-reliant on it, uh, and the, the criticism of Kelly, you know, he throws really hard. The fastball stays straight is, is the criticism, but uh, he's, lo he's located it much better lately. Uh, if he can continue his hot ways, there's another weapon. So all of a sudden, the Red Sox bullpen, which in the past has been criticized for not having enough guys that, that throw the ball hard and, and can strike you out and, and have good stuff, all of a sudden they've got four, if not five or six guys who can do that. Kimbrell, Reed, Smith, Kelly. Price, Brandon Workman, throw him in there. Austin Maddox, throw him in there. Uh, you know, Robbie Scott as your lefty. All of a sudden, you, you've got a fairly formidable relief core um, for the stretch run and for the playoffs. So uh, what was potentially the Red Sox' biggest weakness, other than Craig Kimbrell early on in the season, is now looking like one of its biggest strengths. And in in playoff series where managers are very quick with, with hooks for starting pitchers, 
Uh, you need a very strong bullpen and a deep bullpen, bullpen to get through it. I mean, you saw what the Cubs and the Indians did last year. You saw what the Royals did in previous years before that. They, they, these teams went far uh, on the strength of, of pretty strong bullpen, bullpen pitching. So it's nice to see the Red Sox solidify that. They did it. I mean, that, that it's, it's very clearly the story of the game last night. Uh, the four and two thirds innings of no hit ball from from the Red Sox that allowed them to sneak the game out in the eleventh inning, uh, and it's a win they needed. Again, the Yankees aren't going anywhere; they continue to win. Magic number for the division is down to nine. Like I said, magic number for a playoff spot is now down to two. The athlete or the Angels lost last night, and the Angels are blowing a golden chance because the Twins are in New York. Uh, the Angels have to chase down Minnesota in case anybody hasn't been watching. Uh, the, the Twins are in New York where they never play well, and they're getting soundly beaten by the Yankees right now. Uh, the Angels, unfortunately, have to play Cleveland while all this is going on, and that's no obviously that's no walk in the park. Uh, but they can't get the job done at home against the Indians last night, so they lose. Red Sox magic number to clinch a playoff spot as a result, all the way down to two. No one doubts that they're getting into the playoffs. Uh, the only question is, are they going to win the division? Because I think they, they, they really need to do that and get into a playoff series, most likely now against Houston, although that's, that's, that's far from decided as well. Uh, and they play Houston last series of the regular season too. So uh, good win for the Sox. Offense took a night off, but the pitching saved them 11 shutout innings, and uh, that's the story of the night. So let's talk hockey for a little bit. Uh, the Bruins played their second preseason game of the season. They played one in Quebec on Monday against the Canadiens. They returned to TD, to TD Garden last night for the first time since the playoffs from last year. Of course, it was a preseason game. Uh, but there was some hockey being played, and they come away with a win, 4-2 uh, to over the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, the victory in a preseason game is not important. You don't care about the final score. Preseason statistics mean absolutely nothing uh, in terms of wins and losses. What you're looking for is to see what guys are going to be here this season in Boston, what guys are going to be in Providence, are going to help you in the future, what guys are not going to be on the team, so on and so forth. And the Bruins have three guys, young kids, who really look like they're going to make an impact. Uh, Jacob Forsback, a Carlson, uh, who <laughs> somewhat ironically everybody is calling JFK, that's a pretty lofty designation to give any player in Boston, but uh, that is his, those are his initials, so JFK it is. Uh, he has an assist last night. This kid looks like a real player. All you got to do is listen to Bruce Cassidy talk about him and listen to his teammates talk about him. The kid looks like a player. He's not as fast as some of his younger guys, not as flashy, uh, but here's a guy that looks like they, he can really help the Bruins pretty quick. I think he had an assist last night. Might have had two. Um... You know, but you're, you're you're talking about a forward who can maybe maybe he's a, a a third a third line maybe a fourth line forward this season. Maybe he goes back and forth between here and Providence, but but he's a guy that looks like he can really help you. Jake DeBrusque, who was the Bruins' first round pick, I, I think a couple years ago, maybe 2015. Uh, this kid looks like he might be a top two line player. Uh, his goal, I mean, he he doesn't lack for confidence. He said after the game he wants to play on a line with. Uh, is it is it Pasternak or Martian? I forget somebody. One of the Pasternak, Martian, Bergeron. I'm sorry, not Pasternak, Krejci, he said. He wants to play on a line with David Krejci, uh, which would be a, a top two line 
he'd be a top two line forward like that uh, in his first extended test of, of regular season play for the Bruins. This dude looks like the real deal too. Fast, strong hands, big kid, can really go get the puck. Uh, looks like he can help you pretty fast. Um, and Anders Bjork, who sounds like he should be from Sweden or Finland or, or somewhere, uh, actually is, is American and, and played college hockey, I think in Colorado, but he scored on Monday. He's another guy who was singled out by, by several sports writers, Joe McDonald among them, as a guy who can impact this team this year. Uh, and again, what does this all mean? Uh, the Bruins, who have never been young, it seems like, it se always seems like they've got a, guy, a, a team full of uh, experienced older guys who may have a couple of flashy younger guys on the roster, but the Bruins all of a sudden have been infused with a youth movement and you still have some elder statesmen on the team. Patrice Bergeron's there. Zdeno Char is there. Brad Marchand is there. David Krejci is there. Tuka Rask is there. They're, they're your core. Uh, they've obviously been to a Stanley Cup before uh, and won a Stanley Cup before. Uh, they got to another finals two years later, played a heartbreaking series against Chicago. I mean, the, these guys are there. They're going to still be there. But no longer are they being complimented by other older guys who might be in the last years of their deal, uh, might be kind of wearing out. You know, David Backus is on the team, but other than David Backus, there's not really many of those guys. There's not really many of them. The rest of the team is going to be filled with guys like Bjork, guys like Charlie McAvoy. Tar I mean, Tory Krug has been around, uh, but Tory Krug's still a young guy. He got hurt last night, by the way, so hopefully that's nothing serious, something to keep an eye on. Uh... But guys like him, Ryan Spooner, who, who's been a disappointment, but guess what? He's got a bunch of guys that are that are ready to push him. So, uh, but in, and the real young guys, JFK, uh, Bjork, DeBrusque. There, there's going to be a million more guys coming up from Providence this year. Danton Heinen, who had a goal last night, uh, are, are, are going to be. Th these are the guys that are going to be your Bruins. You might not recognize them at first. They're, they're going to have a very new look. But it's nice to see the Bruins having such a collection of young talent uh, that could bode well for them in the future or at least you know they, they've got a bunch of guys who can who they can deal to get somebody who can really help them if that's what it comes down to again it, it just seems like the Bruins are never young it, it seems like the Bruins are, are stuck behind really bad contracts year after year after year and there's still some bad contracts there don't get me wrong they're still going to be up against it on the salary cap, but at least you, you, you really see a youth movement starting to take over in Boston right now uh, for the hockey team. Uh, Bruce Cassidy said it as much. He's been saying it pretty much all, all offseason. By the way, on Bruce Cassidy, doesn't it sound to me like he's trying to adopt a Boston accent? I mean, anytime the guy gets interviewed, it, it sounds to me like he's trying to be a Canadian guy with a Boston accent. Maybe that's just me, but just kind of something I picked up. Anyway, any event. Uh, so... They head in to their next preseason game. I believe it is Friday night. Um, but in any event, they, they talked to Cassidy after the game, and they said, what's going on with the roster? What are you going to do? Uh, and Cassidy mentioned that there could be some roster cuts coming by Thursday. Uh, they could be trying to finalize the, the guys that they really want to be up in Boston and, and get the guys who they know are going to be in Providence down to Providence so that they can... Uh, start to assimilate themselves and, and you know become a team in Providence before this season uh, because they don't want, he doesn't want to leave that uh, that that farm team barren. Uh, if you're in the Rhode Island area this year, 
boy, that's going to be a fun team to watch. Get out there and see them because they're, they're, that is going to be a fun team to watch. They've got a good coach in Jay Leach, uh, an NHL guy just like Cassidy himself, played a long time in the NHL. Uh, people really like him down there. A lot of the guys that you see in Providence this year are going to be playing in Boston either this year or next year, a lot of them. You know, sometimes you go out and see an AHL team and, and it's full of guys who are on minor league contracts, maybe older guys, and the farm team isn't as deep. The, the Bruins have a lot of guys this year that are going to see a significant time in Boston, barring injury or a trade, over this year or next year. A lot of guys. So uh, it, it's it's somewhat ironic for me to talk about the Providence Bruins in, in such a positive light. I spent so many years in Springfield, Massachusetts. That's where I grew up in Springfield. I, I spent so many years in Springfield rooting against them. Uh, I spent my formative years going to a bunch of Springfield Falcons games back when they were uh, the farm team of the Hartford Whalers and then the Arizona Coyotes, or Phoenix Coyotes at that point. But in any event, uh, so it's, it's a little bit ironic for me to talk about Providence in such a, such a high light. But uh, if you are in that area, like I said, that's going to be a fun team to go see this year. Get out and see it. Go out to an AHL game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that, that hockey is really, really good. And like I said, you're going to see a bunch of guys in Providence this year that are going to be playing in Boston either this year or next. So a uh, little, little plug there for the AHL team. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun season in Boston, I think. I don't think they're going to be all that good. They're certainly not as good. Or When I say all that good, I mean they're not going to be an elite team. They're not as good as Pittsburgh. They're not as good as Washington. Uh, they're not as good as the Rangers, uh, some of the other teams that, that – that did really, really well last year. They're not as good as these guys, uh, as Ottawa, probably, uh, maybe even Montreal. I mean, we'll see how the division shakes out. But uh, they're going to struggle this year, probably scoring goals again with the youth. But they've got an exciting bat. They've got an exciting future, and you can't really say that uh, about the Bruins all that often. Like I said, it, it seems like they, they've been saddled with some big contracts ever since they won the Stanley Cup six years ago. Um, but I think they're going to have a fun year. I think they're going to be worth watching. I think they're a playoff team. Um, we'll do a full NHL preview as we get closer to the start of the regular season. Uh, but I'm optimistic about the Bruins' future. If not this year, I think within a couple of years, they're going to be a very, very high-level team that's going to be worth watching. So if you're listening live, apologies for the delay. I stopped into the local Duncan to grab uh, breakfast and a coffee. Uh, shout out, if you're listening to the Philadelphia area, you probably are not, but shout out to the uh, the, the Duncan on Germantown, Germantown Pike in East Norwood in PA. Uh, good service, and they just hooked me, up, hooked me up with a couple of free donuts because they thought the breakfast sandwich took a little while. Uh, they didn't have to do that, but shouts to them. Get the cold brew if you haven't tried it before at Duncan. It's great. But in any event, uh, so for the last segment today, I thought we'd talk a little Pats. I mean, Tuesday is a... Uh, a notoriously slow uh, news day in football, and Tuesdays in, in September and, and somewhat in October are just notoriously slow anyway, but um, I want to talk about Malcolm Butler for a second, and I, I know I touched on this yesterday, but uh, there's been some speculation, I mean, he didn't start the game on, on, on Sunday against New Orleans, Eric Rowe started in his place, and Everybody, including Rowe, kind of downplayed that and said, well, it was the game plan. Rowe was bigger. Saints had some bigger wide receivers. Uh, they, they wanted to get the matchup there. and Don't read too much into it. Um, there's, been, I, there, there's a lot of speculation in the Boston media 
specifically from Greg Bedard, who's really good at this stuff, has been for a long time. Um, I keep coming back to Boston Sports Journal, but I find it very, very, I find it to be a very, very good website uh, and, and very, very good and very, very insightful. But uh, Bedard, and he's not the only one; others have have thought this too, are thinking that Malcolm Butler may very, may very well go the way of Jamie Collins last year, being phased out in advance of a big contractual decision um, and Belichick wanting to go in a different direction. And if you think about what the Patriots like to do in the secondary, it's, it's not all that surprising when you think about what they want to do. The Patriots love to go with five defensive backs, sometimes six, but when they do that, they really, really like having three safeties on the field at one time. Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung, over the past couple of years, just look at the statistics, they basically go wire to wire in every game. But Belichick has found a lot of confidence in Deron Harmon as his third safety in the big nickel. Deron Harmon plays a lot, and he has been pretty good in that role as, as kind of the nickel safety, if you will, um, in that big nickel formation. Uh, I believe he got a contract extension in the offseason. That's how much the, the Patriots value his services. But um, that only leaves room when, when you go five def- or five defensive backs, that only leaves room for one more cornerback. And in the the big nickel is designed, yes, I mean it's it's offense against the pass for certain. Um, you know, you, you've got a faster player supposedly than you would if you have a, if you had a third linebacker on the field, but it's also designed to be stouter against the run. And Butler, and when you look at Butler and Rowe, it's not that Butler is bad against the run. He's not. But Rowe is bigger. He's a little stronger. He's not as, probably not as fleet as foot as, as, as Butler is, but he's bigger. He's probably, I mean, I, I have no evidence to back this up, but... In a big nickel formation, you're 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 looking not only to stop the pass, but to be as stout as possible against the run as you can. And I mean, you paid Stefan Gilmore all that money for a reason. You're not going to put Stefan Gilmore on the sideline. Um, it's one of the single biggest contracts the Patriots have ever set have ever you know set forth. So he's not he's not sitting for anything. And then the choice comes if if you think about how much Belichick loves to play big nickel. Why not get a guy out there who's a little bit better against the run and a little bit bigger in general? And I, I, I don't know if that's what Bedard is thinking, but that's my thought process too. I'm not saying I agree with it. You know, I'm not saying this is this is the best path of the, the, the you know the best path forward for this football team. I do generally subscribe to the in Belichick we trust mantra, but I'm just trying to decipher what Belichick and company may be thinking here. Because there's more to it than, well, the Saints have bigger wide receivers. I mean, Malcolm Butler didn't come off the field in past seasons when he was the number one cornerback. It's not that he can't guard bigger wide receivers. He's done it before. He can pretty much, you know, in, in, in his best day when he's playing, well, he can guard anybody. So it's not, that's that, that doesn't explain everything to me. And plus, it's it's not like they were playing against the, the greatest show on. I mean, the, the the greatest show on turf Rams or the the Peyton Manning Colts or, or you know one of these incredible offenses where you you have to meticulously plan every aspect of your defense. Right? I mean, the, the Saints are a good offense. Don't get me wrong. Drew Brees is an exceptional quarterback. 
but again, it's it's not like the 2017 Saints are, are going to be mentioned in the in the greatest pantheon of, of offenses in history. I mean, it, you know, I, I, who knows what happens over the next 15 weeks, but I, I don't particularly see that happening. You know, it, it does if you think if you want to think second level on this, the fact that Butler didn't start, the fact that he wasn't playing well in the first game. You know, he didn't particularly play well in this game either. There, if, if, if you go to, to Ben Volan's column this, this, this week, or where, where he kind of breaks down the game film online, um, he got completely wiped out on a pick play that led to a Saints, a Saints touchdown. Um, he didn't play well when he was in either. So there's something going on with Malcolm Butler. Um, I don't know if, it's, if, if he's just in the doghouse, if he's thinking about his contract. Uh, I don't know what happened there. But there is there there does seem to be a disconnect, and the season is young. Don't get me wrong; things can happen. There does seem to be a disconnect between Malcolm Butler and and the Patriots coaching staff right now. Um, is it going to lead to a trade midseason? I don't know. I, I mean, that's that's it's too early to say for certain. I mean, Jamie Collins last year, I think, is is probably a different story. Um, I mean, Jamie Collins was still playing at a fairly high level when he got traded. Um, <clears throat> I think it was probably one of the reasons the, the Browns gave up the, the high draft pick that they that, that they did. I think they gave up a third for Collins midseason. I mean, if Butler's not playing well, what, what team's going to want to give up a draft pick for him midseason? You know, to learn an entirely new defensive con- to defensive kind of mindset. I mean, you can, you, you can send scouts to the game and think, well, he's checked out, he's pissed off about his contract, but I mean... It's it's hard to say right now that a team would would give up a draft pick midseason for Malcolm Butler. So I think it's it's a little too early to put him in the Jamie Collins camp of well the Patriots are just pissed at him because he's been unreasonable in contract negotiations. So we're gonna phase him out and then we're gonna trade him. I mean, could it happen? Sure, and I wouldn't be shocked if it did. Um, but there's still some time for, for for Butler to come back and 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 do some things well. Um, and they, they, you know, they could really use him. I mean, you got to remember what Malcolm, Malcolm Butler. It's not like Malcolm Butler forgot how to play football. I mean, that couldn't have happened. Malcolm Butler is a good football player, and with with really good cover skills. I mean, you don't just supplant. I mean, obviously he's he's a hero because of the play he made against Seattle a couple of years ago. But I, think about what happened to the Patriots roster, specifically their backfield after that play. The Patriots had Darrell Revis, and they had Brandon Browner, uh, both entrenched as starting cornerbacks at that point. Revis was a free agent. I mean, he came over, he had a one-year deal. Uh, the Patriots, I mean, they, they could have taken a shot at re-signing him. They ultimately didn't. Uh, the Jets gave him a big contract. I think uh, history has borne out that it was a good decision not to go after him. But in any event, Brandon Browner, I believe, was under contract for one more season, and they cut him. Either that or they traded him. He wasn't on the roster the following season. Um, the pay- Malcolm Butler, I believe, wasn't even the fourth cornerback on the roster at the beginning of the year uh, in that Super Bowl season. Um, by the time that offseason was over, he was the number one cornerback on the team. They entrusted their entire defensive backfield to this guy. And he performed well. He played well in that season. He played well again last season. So it's not like Malcolm Butler forgot how to play football. There's something more to it than that, 
And I don't know, like I said, I don't know if he's bothered by the contract, if, if he's gotten into a fight with the coaches, whatever the case may be. Um, but the Malcolm Butler situation bears further scrutiny. Um, it's obviously an important part of this team. Let's see how the Patriots want to line it up uh, on Sunday against Houston. But keep your eye on Butler this week. Keep an eye on what the Patriots want to do in the backfield. So that's our show for today on Wednesday the 20th. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. The Sox play again tonight. Uh, they they close the series against Baltimore. Chris Sale takes the mound, trying to right the ship over a shaky last few starts uh, against Baltimore. Uh, watch what they do. Watch what the Yankees do. Uh, Bruins tomorrow, I believe, against Philadelphia. So we'll talk a lot more Sox tomorrow. We'll reset it before they go on the road trip to Cincinnati. We'll also have an injury report from Patriots practice so we can start thinking about where they're going to be on Sunday. Uh, on tomorrow's show. Until then, make it a great day. Hope you're hanging out with people who you love, family, friends, what have you. And uh, we will see you tomorrow morning. This is Mike Lyon. This has been the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast for September 20th. Have a great day, everybody.